Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So this summer we're studying Proverbs. You know, one of the nicest uh, things that can um, um, perhaps ever be said to someone is, you are so wise. For somebody to tell you that you are really wise. How do you become wise? How does a person get wisdom? Do you just have to be old? If so, Citrus County would have lots of wisdom. Um, just just age, and in fact, there's a lot of old fools running around. Uh, just uh, being old doesn't make you um, wise at all. Um, the Bible says, let he who lacks wisdom do what? Ask the Lord. Let he who lacks wisdom. So that's what we're doing this summer. We're asking God, teach us in part of the Bible that's called the wisdom literature. And if you ever open your Bible to the book of Proverbs, you would see that it's not like any other part of the Bible. Um, and it's just these little snippets of wisdom. It's actually framed uh, as a father teaching um, his son wisdom. And we get to listen into this. Um, and what we're looking for, particularly this morning, our subject is self-control. The wise person has self-control. So stand if you're able and willing we're going to bounce through a couple of these Proverbs, so following your Bibles, uh, of course you're welcome to, but following on the screen might be even a bit more uh, easily accomplished. So first, uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verse 10, when I was in high school, I went to a, um, uh, against my will, uh, my parents made me go to a Bible conference when I was in high school in the summer in Miami, and, um, and I heard a preacher, um, a Baptist preacher from Georgia preached on this verse, my son, if sinners entice thee, of course it was the King James, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Um, never forgot it, um, and thankfully God's brought it to mind in moments in my life where I have been enticed to do the wrong thing. If sinners entice thee, Consent thou not. Um, Proverbs um, 16, um, 32, Proverbs 16, 32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. In other words, who takes a city? Well, that's a mighty warrior, and yet uh, it's saying the person who controls his spirit has done a, a, a greater thing, a harder thing, a more difficult thing than taking controlling an entire city. Then to control yourself is even harder. But then we're going to read from um, um, Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city that's been broken into, a city without walls. And then what will be kind of our key verse is Proverbs 18, 
10 and 11, key two verses. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. And then I'm going to read one brief passage from the New Testament. It comes from Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Who has appeared? Who's Paul referring to? Jesus, right? Jesus has appeared. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, there it is, self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Father, would you, would you do what only you can do? Would you make us new? Would you make us zealous for obedience, zealous um, to more reflect who you are and your character? Lord, we're a, we're a rough lot. We are a defiant, resistant people. We don't listen well. We don't bend our wills to yours easily. Lord, if progress is to be made with us, we need you to do it by your Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Please, you know, self-control, it matters, doesn't it? Self-control matters. It matters in small things, right? You're at, you know, it's about 10 o'clock at night in your house and uh, you're, you're thinking, uh, I should probably go to bed. I got a long day um, tomorrow. But then suddenly, mystically, you hear, your, you hear your name called out. Who is that? I mean, it's, it's the voice of the sirens beckoning you. It's actually the ice cream from your freezer. It knows your name. It knows a lot about you. It's this beautiful sing-song. It says, come, come to me, right? Um, temptation, self-control, it matters in, uh, in the small things. Maybe there's a dress at TJ Maxx. You have a lot of clothes but you don't have anything quite like that dress. And, and goodness knows, you deserve a little something. You, ha- you haven't been in TJ Maxx in five days, you know? Um, or, you know, to put it on the other gender, maybe it's a fishing rod, you know, or a golf club or something you don't need. Self-control matters. Um, your cell phone Lights up. You're in a conversation with another person. They're talking to you. They're sharing something. Um, Their eyes are on you. Your eyes are on them. But then your cell phone buzzes. Your cell phone indicates that there's a text or there's a call. And you have a decision to make, don't you? Will I take my attention from them? Will I cast my eyes to my phone? And the minute you do, what do you say to them? You don't matter. You don't matter. This matters. I'm more curious about what's happening on that phone. Self-control. 
self care. When I was in um, RL, uh, RL's age, I was when I was in um, uh, my last year actually of graduate school training for ministry. I played in a uh, in Miami. I played in a uh, our church had a basketball team of uh, of young men. We played uh, in a church basketball league. You know, we played with the uh, um, Baptist. Uh, they cheated a lot. We played with the Lutherans. <laughs> they were no good. We played with the um, Pentecostals. They were always real hyper. Um, <laughs> very good. Um, so we played in the church league, and uh, about halfway through the church league, I had to quit the basketball team of the church where I was one of the intern pastors at that church. I had to quit the team because I could not control myself uh, from yelling at the referees in the church basketball game in front of the Baptists. Um, you know, self-control matters. It matters um, in small things. It matters in, uh, in big things, right? Um, you know, um, when you wake up in the morning, you have a choice. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to get on your knees and pray, or you're going to scroll through your phone. Uh, it matters. Um, you're in a conversation, and suddenly somebody's name is brought up. It's somebody who's not there, and uh, something disparaging is said about them. And other people in that uh, group maybe uh, begin to pile on. And uh, um, you have to decide what you're going to do, right? Are you going to um, um, contribute to the character assassination of another person who's not even um, present? Or can you control your tongue? Self-control matters. It's late at night and everyone's in bed in your house. Your kids are in bed. Your wife's in bed. Um, you've worked hard. You're tired. You're exhausted. You just want um, a little jolt of life. And you know that on your phone or you know that on your computer there are pictures that you can access. And they will make you feel alive. And um, we call that pornography. And um, um, nobody will know. Um, uh, it's safe. And you have to decide, are you going to go there or not? Now listen, you know, self-control is so difficult that we have a whole coterie of groups organized just to help us, right? With alcohol, with drugs, with eating, gambling support groups, anger management, you know? So here's the question. How do we become someone with self-control? The Apostle Paul says it's actually a fruit of the presence of God in your life, right? We call it the fruits of the, the, fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the last one, self-control. Self-control, it can only come in a sense by the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So it's, a, it's an evidence that you're a Christian. You want wisdom? The wise man has self-control. Ready? Got a sermon outline? Uh, follow along. Uh, let's talk about the absence of self-control, the danger of uh, the, the, the lack of self-control. Because Proverbs minces no words. If you read Proverbs 23, what does it say? Hear my son and be wise. Direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Or Proverbs 25, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. 
The walls of a city are its, its strength, its protection, but if the walls are broken down. Think of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the, the whole book starts in the Bible with Nehemiah uh, crying to God because the walls of Jerusalem are what? They're all broken down and the city lies just defenseless. So a person without self-control is like a city without walls, unprotected. It's a disaster waiting to happen. And that's what a person is without self-control. They're completely vulnerable to temptation and compromise and foolish choices which will bring ruin. You know, self, self-control, we know, it doesn't just mean that you may be 15 or 20 more pounds than you wish you were. It, it doesn't just mean that you're tired at work because you didn't have the discipline to get to bed uh, on time the night before. No, self-control can cost you your job. It can cost you your family, your marriage, your reputation, or even your life. Self-control, it really matters, um, doesn't it? Um, so five players in the NFL, five young men who made it. They made it to the NFL. They're on NFL rosters. They were suspended this week. Four of them were suspended for an entire season, which is basically the highest sanction that the National Football League uh, levies because they did what? Did you see it in the paper? They gambled on, on professional football. Every one of them knows that that's, uh, that's not um, acceptable behavior. They all knew that. But they could not what? They could not control themselves, and now they pay the price. Bob Huggins, the basketball coach, he's well-known, perhaps would have been listed in the top five active basketball coaches in our country for his years of uh, successful teams. Um, Bob Huggins was the coach of West Virginia University, and um, about six weeks ago, he got sanctioned because he uttered a, a slur in a um, radio interview. And to keep his job, he actually gave back $1 million of his salary that year. He voluntarily said, pay me a million dollars less. I, I made that offer a couple times myself in my life. You know, <laughs> Cut my pay by a million dollars. And he saved his job. Only uh, a month or so later, um, just a couple weeks ago, uh, he was pulled over for drunk driving. And uh, now he's lost his job completely, uh, his salary, his reputation, all gone. Five teenagers in Fort Myers died this week in a car, 12.30, 1 o'clock at night, going too fast, went into a retention pond. Self-control, it's not just, it doesn't just, a lack of self-control just doesn't cost you more pounds on the scale. You know, our nation lacks self-control. We're $32 trillion in debt. Do you know how hard that actually is to be that much in debt? Lack of self-control. So what is it? What is self-control? Self-control is the ability to recognize and choose the right and good thing over the urgent thing. In other words, self-control is the ability to control your urges, right? So we have urges. Not all urges are bad, um, but they have to be controlled and they have to be put in the right order. Self-control is the ability to control those urges, to choose 
the better thing, the right, the good thing over the urgent thing. So uh, Daniel Goldman wrote a book in, in, the, uh, in about 1995. Uh, it was quite uh, a hit. It was on emotional intelligence. We all were used to IQ tests, right? Um, sort of mental cognitive intelligence. But what about emotional intelligence? And it was in reading that book that he introduced me um, to the marshmallow test. Maybe you've heard of it. They actually took little children and uh, they had a camera on. They're in a room by themselves and uh, sort of the proctor of the test would come into the little child, maybe four years old, five years old, six year old, seven, whatever, uh, with a marshmallow and said, I'm gonna give you this marshmallow and I'm gonna leave the room and you can eat the marshmallow. You're totally free to eat the marshmallow. But if, um, when I come back, and it won't be too terribly long, and I will come back. When I come back, if you haven't eaten the marshmallow, I'll give you another one. You'll get two marshmallows to eat. And then they would leave the room. So you can, you can look this up, on, uh, and, and, and you can see children in this very test, and it's really hilarious. Because um, there's kids that snatch it up. I mean, the door isn't even shut. They snatch it up and they eat it. There are, there are kids that, um, that look at it, and they look around the room, they look at the door, and then they lick their finger, and they run it around the rim of the marshmallow, and they, they're sort of slowly drawn in. And uh, then there was one kid took it and nibbled all around the bottom, you know, and then put it down like you wouldn't be able to see that. Uh, um. And sure enough, they, you know, they come back in. I love the kid when the, uh, who resisted, 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 painfully resisted, and then the, the proctor comes in, and they get the second, and then they immediately stuff both of them right into their face at one time. But, you know, this was a serious study because uh, they went on and followed these kids for years, and they found out that kids that were willing to resist, that could control their urge, uh, had much better educational, social, all sort of outcomes in their life. The ability to control your urges. See, so you have self-control when you desire the most what is right and true and good. Um, we're always controlled by our deepest passion. The problem is that without the, the work of the Holy Spirit, our deepest passion is us, ourselves, our pleasure, right? So our passions have to be rightly ordered, you know? You know, if you have a desire for chocolate or pancakes or beer, none of those things are wrong to have a desire for, Right? Um, but if your desire to be a good steward of your body, um, you, you know, needs to trump those desires. It's a greater desire. You may have a desire to vent. I'm the kind of person who, when it comes to my mind, I say it. And I say hard things, and if people don't like it, then tough on them. They shouldn't be so soft. Um, well, your desire to speak the truth um, needs to be exceeded by a desire to build other people up. Um, you know, you may have a desire for sexual pleasure. That's a God-given um, desire. That's a good thing. God gave that desire. But if that desire is not superseded for the desire of your spouse's well-being and your fidelity to your marriage, then you're headed for a train wreck, right? Um, you are choosing, we cannot choose the urgent over the good. Our desires need to be rightly ordered and if they are not, we are like a what? A city without a wall. We are a disaster waiting to happen. Self-control matters, you got it? Do you have self-control? 
And if you instantly say, oh, yes, well, then you don't. <laughs> you couldn't even control yourself when I asked you that question. It's a battle for every one of us. Proverbs wouldn't speak about it so much if it wasn't, right? Self-control. So secondly, um, what's the key to self-control? Well, you've got to put your passions in the right order, right? You have to put your passions in the right order. So we read Proverbs 18. By the way, Proverbs 4.23 is another life verse for me. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart, um, the way I learned that um, verse as a child. Uh, but Proverbs 18, 10, and 11, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it, and he is safe. So we know that in the ancient world, a city, you wanted to live near a city. If you just lived out in a remote area, then you had no protection. You had no place to run to. You had no safety. So you wanted to live within running distance of a city. There's a city, that's how cities developed around the world. People grouped together. They grouped together for safety. When the Vikings come, when the Goths come, whenever uh, you know, some other tribe or people group wants to steal your women and steal your foodstuffs and, uh, and, and take whatever they want, you want to run into the city. And so when the sound went out, the herald went out, you wanted to grab what was valuable to you and run, Right? And uh, when they got the people inside the city at the last possible moment, they gathered people in, what would they do? Shut the gates of the city, right? City might even have a moat around it. You know, shut the gates of the city. Well, what if the city's walls was breached? Well, where would everybody run then? Into the fortress. Was there be a fort inside of um, the city as well? They'd run inside the fortress that would be even better protected. And that fortress would have a high tower, right? Gives the always the high ground, right? So the Bible says the name of the Lord is your high tower. It's your strong tower and the righteous run into it and that's where they find safety. Now you're asking, what does that have to do with self-control? Well, here's the answer. Everybody runs to something for security and runs to something for a sense of worth. And what you run to will determine your ability to control yourself. Now, I love the contrast we see in Proverbs 18, 10, and 11. So the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into that. That's their strong tower. But a rich man's wealth is his what? A rich man's wealth is his what? His strong tower, right? That's his security. That's his safety. That's his strong city. And it's like a high wall in his what? In his imagination. He thinks his wealth is, you know, wealth is a great, if I could get wealth, if I could be wealthy, then, um, then I have everything um, I need. Um, I, I, can, uh, I, can, I can pay for protection. I can pay for um, health care. I can go to Mayo uh, Clinic. I can go to MD Anderson. I can uh, get the best of um, doctors. I can afford to go to a gym. I can afford to have this, have that, have everything. My life, I've got built a bulwark of safety around my life with my wealth. It's an unscalable wall. It's a citadel in his imagination. Um, 
you know, we know that there's eras in our own country's history, this incredibly wealthy nation in which wealth has suddenly what? Just 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, right? The Great Recession. Now, people in this church saw, saw um, huge storehouses of wealth disappear in a week. Um, um, wealth is not a strong tower, but everybody's got one. Everybody's running into um, something, right? Your job, maybe the status that you gain from your job. Last week I told you about a woman who wanted to be an elementary school teacher, but she found herself in law school. Remember last week? Why did she go to law school? She didn't want to be a lawyer. She didn't want to do law. She wanted to be an elementary teacher all her life because at her 10th high school reunion, somebody was going to ask her, what do you do for a living? And she said, I don't want to say an elementary school teacher because I'll look like a failure in their eyes. I want to be able to say I'm a lawyer. So status was her what? Her high tower, right? That's what she'd run to. Job, relationships. If I, if, if I have my family, you know, grandkids, that's it. That's my strong tower. Health, good health, appearance, success, my strong tower. Um, you know, um, um, Cardinal Dolan, Tim Dolan, Cardinal, Roman Catholic Cardinal of New York City, wrote a beautiful tribute when Tim Keller died a month or so ago. Tim Keller, a pastor in uh, New York City. And in his tribute, he said something interesting. He said, I asked Tim one time, I said, how come, you know, because the idea is you move to New York. Um, and uh, Tim Keller goes to New York to start a church. And you'd think it's the hardest place in America to start a church. It's more secular thinking in New York. Uh, powerful people, liberal uh, people reject Christianity. New York, San Francisco, hardest place you'd find anybody amenable uh, to joining an evangelical church. And uh, Cardinal Dolan asked uh, Tim Keller, how is it that 5,000 people are going to your church in New York City? And how is it, he asked, that most of them are Catholic? And they go to your church. The Catholic young people of this city are going to your church. And uh, he realized that the answer was this, is that why do people go to New York? What's the high tower? Success. Because if I can make it there, I can... Yeah, it's the pinnacle. If I can do it there, then I've proved my worth. So Keller was describing what happens to people he meets in the city when he... He, he quoted one young man, here I work 12 hours a day, six days a week, at first so excited to have made it in New York, only to find myself fatigued and hollow. No family near, fellow workers as frustrated as me, no place to go but a bar where friendship is reduced to hooking up for the night, and I find myself completely lost. Yeah, if you can make it there, you know what? You can make it there and you can be empty, broken, lost. And you see, what does a Christian know wherever they go, even New York City, is that if you have a high tower other than Jesus, you're empty. Doesn't matter what, matter, doesn't matter if you make wealth your high tower. It doesn't matter if you have a beautiful spouse and beautiful children, beautiful cars, and a beautiful life, right? 
Um, You'll be controlled by what you love the most. You know, if your strong tower is success, then you'll struggle with an addiction to work. You'll drive your coworkers. You'll put pressure on your children to succeed. You'll put pressure on their teachers and their coaches. Uh, after all, you've handed them these child prodigies. Um, you may even struggle with the drug addiction that you turn to to help you cope with the pressure to succeed. So a friend of mine, his mother was a, a, a Vogue model. She was stunningly beautiful, and she knew it. It was her high tower. Um, she was perfect. Uh, she used to brag about um, uh, that, that she, uh, my friend would say, he'd hear his mother brag about the fact that when she was eight months pregnant, uh, nobody could even tell. Um, and he just drank in this, uh, this, this approach to life of perfection, and he absorbed it himself. He went to Harvard, um, graduated from there. He became a, a, a rising player in the State Department, sent to prestigious foreign posts. Now, then he gets converted and actually becomes a pastor, and he becomes pastor of very large and influential churches filled with influential people, and he is committed to be the best pastor, the best preacher, the best orator, the best at everything. Then he hurts his back, and he goes to the doctor, and the doctor gives him a prescription for OxyContin. And he discovers that that little pill relieves him of the horrific pressure he feels all the time. And he becomes an addict as a preacher. And he loses his reputation and his job and for a time his family and, um, and, and life collapses around him. Um, what's your strong tower? For some, it's relationship, right? Um, the texts, they're on the phone all the time. They're maintaining a large friend group. They're demanding their friend's attention. They, uh, they put something on social media they want to see. They get a lot of likes. Um, they're sullen when they're left out of friend groups. They see other people gathering, and they weren't included. Um, they want their children's attention, especially their grown children's uh, attention. Um, young um, girls uh, who, who, who crave relationship as their high tower uh, would compromise themselves uh, sexually. I mean, after all, it's the price you have to pay, right, for male affection. Um, see the destructiveness of it. What's your high tower? What's your high tower? Because your high tower will own you. What do you run to? Wine, sports, yeah, I wrote that in there, sports. You know why? Because it's a, it's, a, it's a false high tower in my life. I told you about basketball and arguing with the referees. You know what I found out? I just I realized when the Tampa Bay Rays win, I sleep better. When they play in Seattle like they are um, today uh, or somewhere out west, I wake up at 3 in the morning and I look at my phone to see if they won or not. And if they won, I go right back to sleep. Pretty pathetic, isn't it? My kids, it bugs the heck out of them because if they come and watch a game at my house, I don't have the sound on to the Tampa Bay Lightning games. I can't take it. I can't take the pressure. So I won't play the sound when I watch uh, the games. And for actually, most part, I don't even watch the game. I just check the score after it's over. 
It's a stupid high tower. Um, exercise, food. What's the solution? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. We must give God the place of our deepest passion, right? It's got to be our chief. That's what Chesterton said. When a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's not looking for a prostitute. He's not looking for sexual pleasure. He's looking for God. That's what's absent in his life that he's craving, he's trying to fill, but he's going to the wrong place. Self-control doesn't come from jacking up our willpower. Um, No, you know what the old Puritan said? It comes from the expulsive power of a greater affection. Uh, You know, I've talked to kids through the years, high school kids, they smoke pot. I still remember the kid smoked, came to me, his parents made him come in and talk to the preacher because he smoked pot. And I said, why do you smoke pot? I like it. Um, and, uh, and he just realized he's going to smoke pot if he likes it. Unless he likes what? Something better. Something has to displace that like. The, the science, there's a, a science teacher asked his class, to perform this experiment, we have to get all the oxygen out of this beaker. So how do you propose that we get all the oxygen out of this beaker? And they were thinking about creating some kind of vacuum, some kind of vacuum machine, something that would suck all the oxygen out of the beaker. They were all scheming about ways to do that. And uh, finally, the professor said, I'll tell you how to get the oxygen out of the beaker. You fill it with water. You fill it with water. How do you get self-control? You fill your soul with, the, with Jesus that meets the deepest longings of your heart so that your passions are put in their right order. You got it? Um, Jesus, make Jesus your strong tower. So last point of all, how do we learn Jesus? How do we get Jesus, right? How do we learn self-control? How do we acquire it? That's where we turn to Titus chapter 2. What does it say? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and world passion, worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. The grace of God. What does it mean? Who has appeared? Jesus has appeared. Um, the grace of God empowers holiness and obedience and self-control. How does it do that? Two things. You Ready? God's grace, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and they are saved. The name of the Lord. So God's grace fills our minds with truth about God, right? I'm gonna tell you two things. How do you get self-control? You fill your soul with truth about God. Um. Fill your soul with truth about God. You know, um, names, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Names in, in much of human history, certainly in Bible times, reflected character, right? God loved to change people's names, didn't he? Abram becomes Abraham, right? Um, we think of um, um, people in the Bible whose names are changed. Uh, Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul. But uh, perhaps one of the best examples is Simon. Simon, Jesus said, I'm going to call you what? Peter, Petros, the rock. We know he's signaling something about 
um, the character of Peter. So the name of the Lord. What is the name of the Lord? Uh, it tells us about the character of Jesus. So as you face life's choices, you have to remind yourself of God's character, right? He's sovereign, he's faithful, he's trustworthy, he's good, he's father, he's provider. Remember when Jesus and the disciples are in the boat and they're on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is sleeping in the boat and there's a massive storm and the water's crashing into the boat. The disciples are afraid that their death is imminent. They wake up Jesus and they rebuke him. Don't you even care? We're dying here. And we know Jesus is startled and he awakens and he says, to them, gosh, I'm so sorry, I fell asleep at my post, right? Is that what he says? I was so insensitive to be sleeping when you were having a crisis in your life. Please share your feelings with me. Um, let's talk. Jesus rebukes them. What does he say to them? Where is your, where's your faith? Have you not been with me? Have you not seen me raise that little girl from the dead? Have you not seen me touch the leper and make them whole? Have you not seen me touch the deaf and they can hear? And you think I can't control? Have you not seen me feed thousands with but a little bread and fish? Where is your faith? Where is your seeing what you've seen? Taking the knowledge of my character and who I am and applying it to this situation. That's what we're called to do, right? Um, that's what we're called to do. Adversity is opportunity. The day you lose your job is the day, listen, when life's sailing along, you don't learn anything about this stuff. It's the day you lose your job. That's Adversity is opportunity, right? It's gospel opportunity. That's a day you can say, Jesus is my strong tower, not my job. The day um, you lose your health, right? The doctor says there's a spot on your x-rays. It doesn't look good, I'm sorry. Is Jesus your strong tower or not? Is all he's done for you and all he is and all his character? The day your girlfriend says to you, we're done, you're not the guy for me. Is Jesus your strong tower? You trust him to provide for you. Is his love what you need with all your heart, right? Um, parents, you know, sometimes I think we work so hard to protect our children from failure or disappointment that we don't let them feel the pain of living in this world to discover that Jesus is enough for them. You don't have to run into their teacher and chastise their teacher they didn't get a higher grade. Let them deal with the fact that they got a lower grade. And that Jesus is their strong tower and sometimes that happens, right? Did somebody come out last night and they said, they moved here, 13 months ago, they bought a house. 13 months ago, they moved here from the west coast of the United States. They're a retired couple, and their house is falling over. It was built like 18 years ago, is all. And the inspector didn't find anything, and they actually have like walls collapsing in their house. And uh, they asked me to pray for them. Just as I took their hands to pray for them, they looked up at me and they said, pray for us. But Jesus is our strong tower, right? If our house falls down, it's okay because we're in the tower. Got it? So God's grace fills our minds with the truth about God and God's grace fills our hearts with the love of God because we have his name 
the name of the Lord. We know his name. It's personal with us and God. We know his name. He knows our name. Our name is written on his hand. We matter to him. Self-control is a matter of rightly ordering what you love, right? I'm loving, you know, we, we, we preached through Revelation earlier uh, this year. Remember we talked about um, Jacob and um, Jacob um, loved Rachel. Um, he was nuts about Rachel. And he had to work seven years to get this uh, woman uh, for his bride. And um, you, sh- you should have made AJ work. Uh, AJ Roman, you should have made him work seven years for you. Um, um, Jacob worked seven years. And, um, and then on his wedding night, he lacked self-control. Uh, probably drunk. And his um, father-in-law slips in Rachel's sister. What was her name? Leah. Leah. And Leah was, well, plain. And, and, um, and now Jacob has to work seven more years for Rachel. And you know what the Bible says? It says he loved her so much that the seven years was like days was like days. Do you know who works for who would work for you like that? The one person who's lived on this earth who mastered self-control. His name was Jesus. He went to the garden of Gethsemane. He saw everything that he had to do to have you, to love you, to be your strong tower. And he said to the Father, is there another way? There was no other way. Jesus prevailed. He didn't stop. He moved through it. He got humiliated. He got stripped. He got beaten. He got mocked. He got slapped. He got hung up naked. He got lynched. He was derided by the crowd that would gather there. But he never stopped. Bible says he didn't stop. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? What was his controlling passion? His father's glory and you. You were his passion. You were his love. What was his urge? His urge would have been not to be on that cross, right? Not to be thirsty, not to be beaten, not to be suffering, but he did it for you. You were his Rachel. That then is it. To the degree that you believe that you are his joy, then you will make him your joy, your love, your high tower. A city without walls is like a man without self-control. But the name of the Lord is a high tower. And the wise person, what? Runs into it to be safe. So run. You don't have to be good. You're not good. Just don't be stupid. Run. Run. Get inside. Get inside the walls. And you'll be safe. Let's pray. Jesus, we're not good. But my, are we loved. And who can, um, who can understand this love, this mercy, this grace, this kindness, this father of the prodigal who 
hikes up his garments and humiliates himself. Just a picture of the way our Savior would allow himself to be humiliated so that he could save us, his beloved, his bride, his Rachel. Oh Lord, may um, this love um, capture us in our hearts so that we can say no to lesser things and fill our souls um, with your affection. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.